What is up, guys? Welcome back. This is episode nine. I'm Juan. This is your average fight fan. Let's get right into it. We're going to go over last night's fight card, Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier 3. That was for the heavyweight title. And we're also going to briefly go over Pedro Munoz versus Frankie Edgar, which is coming up next week. Um, Let's get right into this past last night's card. We're going to start off. I'm going to just basically go over the main card. I'm not going to go into the prelims. Just one card uh, that I thought was very, very cool on the prelims, which was Felice uh, Herrig versus Virna Jandiroba. Little Bulldog is what they call Felice Herrig. She's been around for quite a bit. She has a pretty good record, uh, 14 and 8. Of course, 8 losses is not great, but she's she's a pretty durable fighter. Been around for, like I said, for a little while now. And she was out. She was out for a little bit with some injuries. She got back in. Um, Last week we talked about that she was coming off back-to-back losses. This was a pretty big step up in competition for her, even though the girl that she was facing was unranked. Uh, Virna Jandaroba is not ranked. But Virna had a 15-1 record coming in. She's from Brazil. She was on a 14-fight win streak just before losing to Carla Esparza and then also won her previous fight, which was against Mallory Martin. And we discussed last episode about her having an 80% finish rate because she has 50, uh, excuse me, 12 out of her 15 wins coming from submission. So we talked about this being a very, very tough fight for Felice. Uh, and that's exactly what this was. A very tough, tough fight. Very difficult to understand or not understand, but very difficult to compete with the ground game of Virna for Felice. Uh, Virna is a very, very high-level black belt jiu-jitsu, and it showed. It showed quite a bit. So the fight started out pretty quickly with Felice kind of trying to keep her distance, trying not to get into a, well, what she was trying to avoid was not to get into a, a ground game fight with Virna, which is exactly what ended up happening because Virna, like I said, is very high level. While Felice was keeping the distance, trying to land some strikes, uh, Virna was able to get the early takedown and just show how high level she is on the ground. Uh, And this fight ended very quickly. It was a minute 44, and the fight was over. So Virna showed her just absolute top-notch, excellent top control in jiu-jitsu, was able to get a couple of submission attempts but at, but ultimately ended it with an arm bar like I said at a minute 44 which based off who she was fighting and how good this looked and how good she was uh it won her the performance of the night bonus or I, sh- I shouldn't say the performance of the night bonus a performance of the night bonus because there was two given out uh which gave it which gives her a $50,000 bonus on top of what she made for the fight so that's awesome 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 for her big congrats to uh Virna and listen if, if this is what her UFC career is going to be like, and if you want to go back in her history, she's she's a champion in Invicta, and she was a champion in another organization before that. She's a tough girl. Yeah, she's 32, 
but that doesn't really matter. If, if she can continue to play the game the way she played it last night, man, she's got a really good UFC career coming. So huge congrats to Virna. And man, just keep it up. She's she's going to be a tough girl for anybody at, a, at 115 pounds. So big, big, big win for her. And for Felice, uh, you know, she's 35. Like I said, she's been around for a while. So she's just got to think about what she wants to do next. But she's still a very, very good fighter. And I'm sure she'll be fine. I'm sure I'm sure if she wants to come back, she will, and she'll be a lot better, and she will get the right fight for her. So, all right, moving on. The only other fight that I wanted to go over that was on the that was excuse me on the prelims was the lightweight bout between Jim Miller and Vince Pichel. This was another good good fight. Uh, both guys were excellent in uh, their ground game. Obviously, Jim Miller has just an unbelievably good ground game record he's got 18 wins by submission in just an amazing career uh he is coming off a win in this past june looking to make it two in a row for this fight you know we discussed last last uh, episode that he has fought just about everybody at 55 he's an absolute legend i'm not going to go over that again if you want to listen to that you can go back to previous episode which was number eight and we discussed it in detail but just understand that this guy's been around forever he's he's fought just about everybody beat them all uh he's got an amazing career but he was fighting a very very strong and very good ground game guy in Vince Pichel. Uh, Vince Pichel's 37. He's from California. He was unranked, just like Jim Miller. Jim Miller's was coming with a record of 30. Uh, excuse me, 32 and 14. Like I said, 18 wins by submission. Uh, Vince Pichel had a record of 12 and two coming into this. Eight knockouts. You know, obviously based off his record, he hasn't fought as much. He doesn't have the level of experience of a Jim Miller, but. Uh, sometimes that really doesn't matter, you know, because, you know, Jim Miller is a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Vince Pichel is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Just different styles, but at the same time, both excellent guys on the ground. For the way it went, round one, Miller started out very well. You know, he got a takedown. He was able to keep top control for a good amount of time in the first round. I had it 10-9 for Jim Miller in the first. I think Vince Pichel was kind of starting a little bit slower than he should have. But at the same time, he was being dominated by a guy who's clearly better than him on the ground in terms of jujitsu and in terms of skill. However, in the second round, Pichel started to show how much stronger he is than Jim Miller. And sometimes strength can overpower skill as long as you have skill to back up that strength. All right. So I said before that Jim Miller is a black belt in jujitsu and he's absolutely a monster on the ground with 18 wins by submission. Like I said, the guy's an absolute killer. But at the same time, when you're facing somebody who's taller, stronger, and is also a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, sometimes those things clash with your skill and your and your experience, and it just overpowers you. So um, even though both guys were able to get a takedown, Pichel's takedown of his own was just, you know, once once he got his takedown, it was kind of the beginning of the end for for Jim Miller. Pichel was able to, to dominate the rest of that, or I should say most of that round in round two, uh, which in my opinion gave him the second round, giving him a 10-9. And then the third round, uh, it was kind of more the same, to be honest. It was Pichel getting the tank down early, getting another takedown, just out-muscling Jim Miller, showing how strong he is um, and how much stronger he is than Jim Miller, and just dominated pretty much the entire round. And... The crazy thing about it is that Jim Miller is so, so good on the ground. And by having this guy who's 37, 
and it's just so much stronger. Be able to dominate somebody like Jim Miller on the ground was just spectacular. In my opinion, the strength, the knowledge, and just the level of jujitsu that Pichel possessed in this fight was the winner for not only round three, but the entire fight. So I had Jim Miller winning the first round 10-9, and then I had Pichel winning second and third round 10-9, giving him the 29-28 victory. Huge win. Huge, huge win. I don't know what he plans on doing with the rest of his career. Like I said, he is 37. You know, Jim Miller's not too far behind at 36. They're both getting towards the end of their careers. However, that doesn't mean anything nowadays. Guys are retiring later and later. So we'll see what happens with uh, Pichel's career, and we will see what happens with Jim Miller's career. I don't think Jim Miller's going anywhere, and I really don't think Pichel, after this dominant victory, is going anywhere either. So let's see what happens with these guys' careers, and we're just going to stick to it and see what they do. I'm really curious what's going to happen with these guys. Both of them are just veterans and absolute monsters on the ground. So congrats to Pichel, and Jim Miller's going to have to go back and see what's going on pick a better matchup in his opinion for his next fight. I'm, I'm pretty positive that he probably thought that Pichel was not a great uh, matchup for Jim Miller, which is why they chose him. But at the same time, he's really got to do his homework for his next fight. So uh, again, congrats to Pichel for the, vic- for the big victory. Uh, and now moving on to the first fight in the main card, which was a bantamweight fight at 135 pounds between John Dotson, the, they call him the magician, and Marab, the machine Man, I, I just, I can never get this guy's name right, but Wallace Vili, I think it is. I, I'm probably wrong with that, but we're just going to call him a Rob for now. We discussed previous episode, John Dotson's 35. He's from Albuquerque. He trains at one of the best gyms in the world, which is Jackson Wink. A lot of the greatest fighters uh, train there, John Jones, Holly Holm. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, there's just so many great fighters that have trained there in the past and currently still training there. I mean, it's one of the best gyms in the world. So he trains there. He's been there for quite a while. He's coming off a win in February. However, his last nine fights have not gone how he would like them to. He's got five losses in his last nine fights. We discussed last time that he was a monster until he faced Demetrius Johnson, lost uh, two times for him for the title, and then has been pretty inconsistent after that. But this guy's he, he's got excellent footwork. He's super quick on his feet. He's a good wrestler, and he's a fast-paced fighter. He likes to keep the distance and land that counter left hook that puts people down. And, you know, if, if you're getting caught by the left hook or the left straight, then it's going to be a bad night for you. However, Marab, on the other hand, is just a cardio machine. That's why they call him. That's why his nickname is The Machine, because the guy just never stops. He's He's just relentless with his takedown attempts and clinches and he's he's an absolute machine which is why his nickname is perfect for this type of style uh he's ranked number 15 he's from georgia the country not the state his record was 11 and 4 ranked number 15 while dotson's record is 21 11 ranked number 12 and marab was on a four fight win streak coming into this fight like i said before this guy's a monster he's an excellent wrestler he's got cardio for weeks not days just never stops moving and he, his style is to grind out his opponents, you know, with whether, whatever it is, whether it's takedown defense, whether it's, or excuse me, takedowns, you know, excellent cardio, taking you down and keeping you there, whatever it is, clinching against the cage, whatever it is, this guy is just relentless and he just grinds out his opponents and just wins fights by just being the aggressor, being more, you know, just pushing the pace, being first every time, whatever it is, he looks for a way to win. And it, he he did that in this fight as well. 
you know, first round, it was kind of slow. You know, when you're when you're fighting somebody like John Dotson, you have to be very careful because he, like I said before, he's a great counter striker. He can hit you with that left coming in, uh, coming, excuse me, walking back. And people have not had good nights. He's put people's lights out with those with that punches before, including in both fights with Demetrius Johnson. He actually knocked him down. I think a, a total of two times or maybe three times. I'm not 100 percent about that, but. Yeah, the guy's got a devastating left left cross, left hook. And, you know, Marab was being obviously careful not to get hit by that because regardless of how good your chin is, you get hit by one of those, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the night. So, so again, the uh, beginning of the first round was more of like a, you know, like a feel-out period where these guys are feeling each other out, seeing what they got, seeing the, the timing, all that stuff, footwork. Uh, but Marab was able to get a clinch in, I'd say about halfway through the fight. I mean, excuse me, halfway through the first round. And uh, he kept John Dotson there for just about the the rest of the round. He was able to, you know, just keep him against the cage where usually they'd be facing each other. In this case, Marab had John Dotson kind of trapped facing the cage. So he was throwing knees against the back of John Dotson's thighs. And th- that might not sound like something that's, you know, going to do much damage. But let me tell you, you take one knee to the back of your thigh and you'll know exactly what I mean. Imagine taking like 20 of those knees or more to the back of your thigh constantly, consistently for, you know, a minute and a half or two minutes that will definitely change things for you. But I got to give it to Dotson. Dotson, he's so good and he's so crisp with, with his footwork and his cardio is excellent. His, you know, his, his, uh, his, he's always in shape. He's, he's just got, He's got, he's one of those guys that you can't stop. He's just, he's like a man. Uh, he just never move. He never stops moving. So it's like, he's been taken down before, but he gets right, right back up instantly, right back up. Um, and that's exactly what happened in this fight. Marab was able to take him down a couple of times and never been able to hold him down for like more than a second. John Dotson is just the quickest guy. He might be the quickest guy in MMA. He's definitely the quickest guy in this division for sure at 135. But yeah, so Marab was able to get a takedown. Dotson, Dotson jumped right back up. But then that's when the fight started to change. The fight started to go 100% in Marab's direction. And he just was able to implement the game plan that he had, which was what I mentioned before. He's just got that pace that not many people can keep up with. Even if you're John Dotson, it's hard to keep up with Marab's uh, pace. And that's what he showed. He showed cardio. He showed strength. Started to take over in round two. And uh, it kind of just led to a victory from there. Round three was kind of the same. Marab got another takedown. Again, John, John Dotson jumped right back up. Marab was actually able to get John Dotson over his head and try to slam him, and it didn't work because John Dotson is so slippery, so you know quick, and, and just moves around so much that none of these takedowns or even takedown attempts did anything to John Dotson except for you know not allow him to score points. But you know, like I said, John, uh, excuse me, Marab showed that he's just relentless. And he even, he even outlanded John Dotson in strikes. He outlanded him by a pretty big margin, 88 to 31 in total strikes landed for Marab. That doesn't usually happen to John Dotson. It's rare, but listen, Marab is a different type of animal. He's a machine for a reason. And he, he showed it in this fight. So, you know, when you're in the top, when you just move into the top 15, 
and you beat it and you beat the number 12 guy that means you're getting real close to that top 10 depending on what happened with other other fighters and 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 other um you know fighting fights coming up you could be you could find yourself in the top 10 you know but we'll see what happens tuesdays are usually when the the rankings come out again so we'll see where he stands in the rankings but he's definitely at least at number 12 hopefully maybe even lower than that but we'll see what happens marab is just a, a monster and yeah, he, he, you know, it was a huge victory for him. You're, you're talking about beating one of the best guys in the division for the t- last 10 years. So huge win for him. The next fight was Herbert Burns against Daniel Pineda. This fight was actually on the prelims. Uh, and for whatever reason, I'm not hundred percent sure why, but they moved it into the main card, which is awesome for these two guys. Yeah, this was a good fight. This was a really good fight. This was a surprise, kind of like what, kind of like what Vince Pichel against Jim Miller was where Vince Pichel surprised the hell out of everybody, including myself. Well, Daniel Pineda did that in this fight. So Herbert Burns, if you don't know, and if you haven't heard my previous episode, is the brother of Gilbert Burns, who was supposed to fight for a title at 170 pounds and caught, he contracted COVID at some place in Florida and was tested positive when he got to Las Vegas. So he was not able to fly to Fight Island, which is where he was going to fight for the title. You know, and then Masvidal stepped in, and, and we all know how that happened. But anyway, so Herbert Burns, his his brother, he's actually a lighter weight class. He fights at 145 pounds, which in this case didn't actually happen because he missed weight by three and a half pounds. Came in at 149 and a half or something like that. This fight was supposed to be at 145 pounds, but because Burns missed weight, Daniel Pineda got 20% of his purse, as well as, like I said, this was a surprise. So Daniel Pineda got the 20% for missing weight. And he also got the victory, you know, because the UFC has a has a strange payment system. The way that the way that it works is you get paid to show up, and then you get paid if you win. So if you lose, you don't get the second half of your of your money, which is I I've always thought that's crazy, and I think they should change it. But I guess as a company, it makes sense for them, not for the fighters, obviously. But so in this case, Daniel Pineda gets show bon- uh, the show money, which is which means he gets paid for showing up and and making weight. He also gets money, 20% of whatever Herbert Burns was going to make gets given to Daniel Pineda. And then, of course, for winning the fight, he gets the other half of the show money. So Daniel Pineda, if you didn't, like I said, if you didn't hear my last episode, was in the UFC along uh, way back and then had, uh, I guess, not the best UFC career. So they, they released him. It's been six years since he has not been in the UFC, but he he's done very well outside the UFC, racked up 26 wins, 18 wins by submission. And, you know, they brought him back. They, they, they signed him again. And let me tell you, what a hell of a UFC comeback fight. You're fighting Herbert Burns, which is one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners in the division. And it, I mean, it showed it, in the first round, it definitely showed how good Burns is on the ground. Burns got the takedown, showed his, his jiu-jitsu skills right away. I mean, you could tell this guy is a monster and just master class in jiu-jitsu. However, Daniel Pineda is also very good on the ground. He's also a black belt. And now, while they have different styles of of jiu-jitsu, they are both black belts and they are both very, very good. So, the way that Herbert Burns' style of jiu-jitsu is, is he'll take you down and try to submit you right away. So, he'll constantly because these 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 guys that have trained jiu-jitsu forever their style of jiu-jitsu usually ends with 
a submission, right? Because they're, they've been training in a gi since they were little kids. And, they, you know, since they were like four years old, five years old, six years old, eight years old, 10 years old, they've always trained in a gi. However, when you don't train in the gi forever, in other words, when you, when you train jujitsu and you start training in gi and also no gi, your style is completely different, which is, which showed in Pineda's, uh, jujitsu style in this fight. So his style is to take you down, you know, work from the top, but also incorporate strikes, elbows, punches, you know, all the stuff that he can to try to get that submission or just to finish you. So in the first round, Pineda also got a takedown and started throwing the strikes, which is what Burns did not do. Burns just went for the takedown, got the takedown and tried to finish it uh, with a submission. However, Pineda got the takedown, started throwing strikes, landed a lot of strikes, showing the difference in his style and ended up out outlanding Burns 87 to 21 in total strikes for the first round alone. 87 strikes just in the first round. That's a giant confidence boost for somebody who's been away from the UFC for six years and is fighting one of the best jiu-jitsu guys in the, in the division. So that coming into round two, you know, is, is like I said, it's a huge confidence, confidence boost. And again, it showed Burns comes out and in round two, knowing that he lost round one and got an immediate takedown. Okay. He was able to, you know, try to, again, go for that submission and try to win the round, but it didn't work. Uh, Pineda was able to pass on the takedown got back up, they struggled a little bit more, and then Burns got another takedown. But again, Pineda was able to pass on that takedown and then dominate for just about the rest of the round. I mean, you're talking about he landed 87 strikes in round one. Well, he landed 86 strikes in round two. The guy was just, man, he was relentless with those strikes. Elbows, punches, everything he possibly could to get those to get those strikes landing and to get, you know, Burns to kind of just not playing his game, you know, but late in the second round, Pineda was able to get a crucifix position, which is, think about how a crucifix is shaped. You know, you got the long part of the crucifix, which is where Burns' body is. And then you got the top part of the crucifix, which is like the cross at the top of the crucifix, which is where Pineda's body is. However, Pineda's body is holding both of Burns' arms, you know, depending on where you are, it's either you're, you're holding one of his arms with your arm and your head, and you're holding his other arm with both your legs. So he, he's kind of trapped in that position. Well, Pineda was able to get that position on Burns, who again is a very, very high level jujitsu guy, very high level. So to enable to, in order to get this position alone is a victory for Pineda, but he didn't stop there. He kept throwing strikes, punches, elbows, until the point where the ref was was forced to stop the fight because there was so much damage on Burns's face and, you know, his head area that they stopped the fight in the second round and just a gigantic win for this gentleman. Daniel Pineda, six years away from the UFC, comes back, gets moved into the to the main card from being way down in the prelims, moved up to the main card, gets this gigantic win, and then not only does he get what I told you before, so he gets... The show, bon the show money, the win money, and the 20% uh, of Herbert Burns' money for missing weight, he also got a $50,000 performance in the night bonus. That's amazing. This is, this is a fairy tale ending for any fighter, any fighter in any organization. This is 
a fairy tale ending for this for this gentleman. This guy just had the the night of his life, and I'm super happy for him. I, I love these type of stories when somebody you know gets the released from their organization, whether it's the UFC or Bellator or whatever, is able to fight their ass off outside this organization, make their way back, and show that he's grown leaps and bounds and just unbelievable night. I'm so happy for this guy. Huge congrats to Daniel Pineda. Uh, I hope we see him again in the octagon, and I hope that he gets, you know, just a career that he should have had six years ago when he left the UFC. I just hope that we get to see a lot more of him. So huge congrats to him. All right. Next up was a heavyweight bout between Junior Dos Santos, or JDS is what I call him. Or I shouldn't say I call him, but everybody calls him. Uh, he was he was facing Jardinio Rosenstrike. JDS is again, if you don't know, he's uh, six foot four, thirty six years old now. He's a former heavyweight champ from Brazil, currently ranked number five, coming in with a record of twenty seven. Uh, excuse me, twenty one and seven. Up until this point, he had fifteen knockouts, and he was coming off a three fight win streak. Or excuse me, after the three fight win streak, he was coming off back to back losses, so he had lost two in a row. You know, he was looking to get back in that win column. According to him, he was just looking for another title run. Which, like I said in my previous uh, my previous uh, episode, I really didn't think he had it in him anymore. He's, you know, like I said, he's 36. He hasn't really been that consistent after being the champ. So I just didn't think that uh, title run was in him anymore. Again, he was facing Jarzinho Rosenstrike, which his nickname is Biggie Boy. Six foot two, 32 years old. He's from Suriname. Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's uh, it's a country in South America. And he was ranked number six coming into this. He had a record of 10-1 and one with nine knockouts. Uh, he was coming off his first career loss against Nganu. Very, very crazy fight. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely check that out. Didn't last very long. He was over in the first round. But before that, he, he knocked out all of his opponents except for one. So I, just, I was really curious what was going to happen with these two guys because they're both knockout artists. And, you know, J- uh, JDS has been around forever. He's fought, I think, everybody that's ever fought in, in heavyweight. <laughs> And Jarzinho was just, you know, he's a great Muay Thai fighter. He fought in, in uh, Muay Thai for quite a while before he got into MMA. So it was interesting. You know, the, the stand-up was going to be interesting. And I, I think I, if I remember correctly, I think I said in my previous episode, which I never, I never predict anything, but I just said if, if, if it was going to end early, I think Rosenstrike would have got the knockout because I didn't think that JDS would ever was able to knock out Rosenstrike. And that's, that's actually what happened. So... Rosenstrike was the favorite here at minus 155. Uh, it was, it was a, I think it was pretty even in the first round, even though Biggie Boy did outland him by a very small margin of five uh, total strikes. I think it was pretty even. It was a hard uh, round to, to score if you're a judge. Thank God I'm not. But yeah, like I said, it was pretty even. Really just both guys trying not to make mistakes and being very patient so that they don't get knocked out. Because heavyweights, you know, you make a mistake and it's, usually night night for for you so uh round one was again it was i don't know who won it if, if i had to give it to somebody just based off total strikes i guess i give it to biggie boy but i can't confirm that but round two was a little bit different round two rosenstrike was being the aggressor even though it started out kind of the same as round one where they were both kind of feeling each other out being you know patient and not trying to make mistakes at the same time rosenstrike was being a little bit more aggressive than he was in the first fight uh, excuse me in the first round um, and he was moving forward more than JDS was moving forward. So, it, you know, being the aggressor sometimes has negative results. But in this particular case, like in many other cases, it had a very positive result for a Rosenstrike. He was able to land a really nasty, nasty right cross. 
uh, that put JDS down. And uh, from that from that moment, it was just the beginning of the end. He was able to finish it with about a minute remaining in the round. Um, they had to stop the fight. And it was a huge, huge victory for Jarzinho because he's looking to, you know, he's looking to get that rematch with, with uh, Nganu. You know, he's he's looking to get a rematch or if he doesn't get the rematch with Nganu, he wants to get a title shot. So the thing is that Nganu is probably next for the title shot. So with Jarzinho moving closer to that title shot, it's either going to be the rematch with Nganu or the title or both. Because if, you know, Nganu wins the title, then, you know, that's where the rematch would come in. So, uh, like I said, big victory for Jarzinho, Biggie Boy, Rosenstrike, moving him one step closer to where he wants to be, which is, you know, top five, top three, and then fighting for a title. So, he came in at number six. He beat the number five guy. He's either in the top five or he might even be in the top three. We'll see what happens there. But either way, he's, again, one step closer to where he wants to be. So big congrats to uh, Biggie Boy on that one. Huge win. Oh, actually, yeah, just a quick side note. These guys are training in the same facility now. Uh, they're, they're both training at uh, American Top Team in Coconut Creek. However, up until this fight, they weren't training together. They were just training in the same facility where... Uh, they would be in it at different times. So Jarzinho actually said that after this fight, they will be training together because they're both friends uh, and they both respect each other. So af- after the fight was over, Jarzinho actually sat down next to JDS because JDS was, you know, kind of still a little, you know, a bit dizzy from getting knocked down or knocked out. Uh, so Jarzinho actually sat down next to him and said, I'm really thankful that you gave me this opportunity. You know, he was being very respectful uh, because, again, JDS is a legend. He's been around forever. He's the ex-champ. Uh, you know, so he, he's one of the, you know, one of the best heavyweights, you know, to ever grace the octagon. So in order for you to beat this guy, you got to be really good. So obviously, Jarzinho is very thankful for get, getting that opportunity. And, you know, of course, he's a respectful guy. So he wanted to give his respects to JDS. And that was cool. That was cool to see. Yeah. So like I said, huge congrats to him. And we'll see what happens with JDS. We'll see what he wants to do. We'll see if he wants to continue fighting. You know, he's now gotten three knockouts in a row. So it's it's tough. You know, we'll see what happens there. But anyway, moving on to the co-main event, which was a bantamweight 135-pound fight between Sugar Sean O'Malley and Marlon Chito Vera. Now, again, if you don't know who Sugar Sean is, you should definitely just Google him. He's He's got a huge social media following now on, you know, YouTube and he's got his own podcast. Uh, you know, I'm sure he's on Instagram and Twitter and Twitch and all that stuff. So if you don't know who he is, you should, but if you do, you know how big of a hype he had behind him. Um, and he was, you know, because of this hype, he was the favorite in this fight. I think he was minus 300 coming into here. So this was a pretty, in my opinion, big fight in terms of skill. You know, Sugar Sean O'Malley is an excellent striker. But he had really never faced anybody with the ground game and the skill and the skill level of Chito Vera in the stand-up and the ground. So this was, in my opinion, his most difficult fight. And honestly, I don't know if it was Chito's most difficult fight, but it was definitely Chito's biggest fight up until now. Like I said, Sean O'Malley's got a huge, huge uh, hype train behind him and... And his style is is the kind of style that can make you a superstar if you keep winning. So, you know, flashy flashy striker, knockouts, highlights. He's just that type of like he's got the he's got the personality of like a 
you know, like a more respectful kind of more respectful Conor McGregor where he's flashy, you know, he talks shit, but he doesn't really disrespect too much, even though Conor is just gone off the fucking rails recently. But um, Sean O'Malley is kind of similar to that where he, he does talk shit. He does have a big hype behind him. He's not really that disrespectful, I wouldn't say, but huge hype behind them. And then Chito Vera, again, just excellent fighter, really good on the ground, excellent, I should say, on the ground, and very good striker. So this was, again, in my opinion, Sean O'Malley's most difficult fight, um, and it didn't last, it didn't last very long. But just a quick recap on, on Chito. He's 27. He's from Ecuador. Now he chains in California. Uh, he was unranked before this fight. Came in with a record of uh, 15 and 6, where Sean was actually uh, 12 and 0. He was undefeated with eight knockouts, and Chito was um, again 15 and 6 with five knockouts, eight submissions. So obviously a, a very good mixed martial artist. And according to most people in the media and most people who watch all fights, like myself, he was coming off a six-fight win streak, even though the on paper he was coming off a loss in his last fight and five win streak before that you know the judges they always tell you don't leave it to the hands of the judges because you never know what they could say so apparently the judges saw that he lost his last fight which he actually moved up in weight fought at 145 for his last fight and apparently the judges saw it for his opponent so in his eyes he was on a six fight win streak and on paper he was on a five fight win streak with one loss so he his win streak was gone however because he moved up in weight for this fight or for his previous fight, which was at 145 pounds, his winning streak at 135 pounds is still there and still legit. So technically, he's still on a five-fight win streak for the division. Hope that makes sense. But again, very good striker, black belt in jiu-jitsu, super tough guy, doesn't back out, back down to anybody, very strong mentally, which is uh, you know how people like Conor McGregor, people like Sean O'Malley win a lot of their fights because they 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 have that mental warfare type of thing where they can come in and you know just be flashy and be that type of fighter that people want to be and just hate that they're not um so they get real riled up and they get mad and they don't fight the way they should fight or the way they want to fight well chito vera is the opposite chito vera is very very strong mentally so you it's very hard to get in his mind and in his head to kind of get him off his game so again, like I said before, Sean O'Malley was a minus 300 favorite against Vera, who was a plus 240. So 3-1 to one favorite for O'Malley. Um, and round one was, it was, a, it was a very interesting fight. It was more like a chess match in the beginning. You know, neither, neither one of these guys wanted to, it was kind of the same as like Rosenstrike and um, JDS, where neither one of them wanted to make a mistake. So they were kind of feeling each other out. So O'Malley was throwing a lot of feints which is what a lot of very high level strikers do. They'll throw feints to see what you do and then they'll they'll kind of work their game around what your reactions are to their feints. So Chito was reacting to those feints, which is not good. You know, you don't you don't want to react to feints because then you start to get a tendency um, where the other fighter is knowing how you're going to react to you know, certain kicks or certain punches or whatever it is, those feints will give them like a game plan. They'll give them like a map of what you do. So for Sean O'Malley, this is, he's winning the fight right now because he's throwing the feints and Cheetah's reacting to those feints and kind of giving him a map of what he wants to do next. So 
Sugar Sean O'Malley started throwing leg kicks and they were landing. They were, you know, they were good, solid leg kicks. The bad part about that is that Cheeto is, like I said, he's super strong and durable and he, he doesn't, he, he just doesn't break easily, you know? So he started noticing that these feints were a game tactic for Sean O'Malley. So he stopped reacting to them altogether. He would, he, he, he figured I'd rather get punched in the face than give this guy a game plan of how to beat me. So he just stopped reacting to the, to the tact to, excuse me, to the uh, feints altogether, which is awesome for him because now Sean O'Malley doesn't know what he can and cannot throw. So what does Cheeto do? Cheeto started throwing the leg kicks back um, and they were landing and they were solid. You know, Cheeto is a very leg kick heavy fighter to begin with. He just, like I said before, he was kind of seeing what was going on and, and kind of feeling out Sean O'Malley. You know, timing is a, is a big thing. Footwork is a big thing. Um, and when the guy's taller than you, has a big, uh, excuse me, a, a larger reach or a longer reach than you, you really have to do your best to see what he's going to do before you go out there and just try to, you know, go balls to the wall and get knocked out. So I think it was an excellent game plan by Cheeto Vera. And like I said, he is a, 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 he's a, he's a heavy leg kicker in his game to begin with. So about midway through the first round, Chito Vera threw a very hard leg kick, very hard leg kick that landed on O'Malley's right leg. Now, if you watch the replay, you'll notice that as soon as O'Malley gets kicked in that leg, as soon as he gets kicked in the leg, he switches stances because that kick that was landed on O'Malley's right leg may or may not have caused numbing in the nerves of the lower part of his leg, which is where that leg kick landed. Now, when you have nerve damage or nerve numbing, that causes your, wherever this happens, in this case, it was the lower part of his leg, to not work the way that you think it's going to work. So when the numbing of the nerves happened to O'Malley, it caused his foot to roll forward and injure his foot. Whether it was his foot or his ankle, something was injured and he was not able to use the footwork that he's used to using to knock people out. So this was a huge, huge disadvantage for O'Malley and a gigantic advantage for Chito Vera because the tables completely turned and now it's not Sean O'Malley who is on the aggression or I should say, you know, on the aggressive attack where now he's backtracking, trying to avoid damage from Chito, which let me tell you, Chito is five foot eight, but he is a monster with strikes and he's a monster with those leg kicks. And if he gets you on the ground, he's a black belt in jujitsu. So regardless of what's going to happen, he's good everywhere. So when this happens, when O'Malley notices that his leg is not working the way it's supposed to, or the way he wants it to, he starts backtracking. And he's like, I said, he switched stances. So right away, Chito noticed that he was backing away and he took advantage of this opportunity, pushed the pace and he started to kind of bum rush Sean O'Malley to the point where Sean O'Malley was moving backward and didn't notice again, because I don't know if you guys know, but they were in a smaller cage for this fight because of, uh, you know, the UFC apex has a 25 foot octagon. So by Sean O'Malley moving backward and not knowing because his foot is numb, not knowing where he's stepping, he gets to the, to the very edge of the cage and falls backward to the, onto the cage. Now, the reason this happened is because he's trying to avoid the strikes that are coming from Chito Vera. All right. Once he falls on his back, that's where Chito Vera's ground game is. Like I said before, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, and that is his absolute best weapon against a person like Sean O'Malley, who is a purple belt 
in jiu-jitsu, okay? You're talking about a very high-level black belt against a newish, up-and-coming purple belt in Sean O'Malley. So what does Cheeto do? He notices that that Sean O'Malley, uh, yeah, Sean O'Malley is on his back with his legs up. So what does he do? He grabs his legs, he gets into the guard, and just starts ground and pounding. Now, Cheeto's ground and pound is fucking excellent. He's one of the better ground and pound guys in this division, and he just threw bombs. He threw punches. He threw some vicious elbows on O'Malley's face uh, to the point where Sean O'Malley's head bounced off the canvas like I haven't seen in a really long time. And because of the fact that there's no fans in this stadium, it's, I mean, it's not even a stadium. It's like a room. It's like a big room. Because of the fact that there's no fans in there, you could literally hear Sean O'Malley's head bounce off the canvas and his throat started to gargle. It was like a noise that Sean O'Malley's, that he made when he got hit with this elbow. So obviously Cheeto's, Cheeto's noticing that this is happening. So he's continuing to throw these elbows and punches. And it, it, it was to the point where, you know, the referee just had to stop it. He had no choice. Some, some people were saying, oh, the stoppage was too soon. Some people saying the stoppage was perfect. In my opinion, based off what happened prior to this moment, I think it was a perfect stoppage because there was no way that Sean O'Malley could do anything to protect him, not to protect himself, but to win the fight. There's no way he could have won that fight. So I think it was a perfect stoppage. And also the referee is not only looking out for the the fighter who's winning, he's always looking out for the fighter that's taking the most damage. And his job is to avoid the fighters getting hurt. So I, I think it was an absolute perfect stoppage and a gigantic win for Chito Vera to stop this huge hype train that was coming behind Sean O'Malley. And this round one TKO victory for Marlon uh, Chito Vera, is just, it's, it's, his, it's like I said, it was his biggest fight ever. It might not have been his most difficult fight, but it was, his, it was his biggest fight to date. And he blew it just, I mean, out of the park, out of the park. This is, like, this is a grand slam home run. Huge win considering, like I said, the hype train, the odds. They had O'Malley at a minus 300. I mean, if you bet on Chito Vera, man, you, you got your money's worth. Damn, that, I mean, this is a huge win. Huge, huge win. And of course, this moves him into the top 15. And he called out, he said, he said, it. if you're in the top 15, if you're in the top 10, I'm coming for you. And I could, I mean, he's got passion in his eyes. I could see that this guy is one of those guys that doesn't just, he's not going to stop until he gets to the top. So he's only getting better. O'Malley, if obviously, is always going to get better. He's just that type of, you know, high level striker who will continue to get better and continue to work on his ground game. Uh, but this is a pretty serious injury when you're talking about nerve damage. So hopefully, you know, for obviously for Sean O'Malley's sake and the division as well, you know, it's not just O'Malley, it's the division. Um, when you have a big name like that, it does, it does get more eyes on the division. So not only obviously for the division sake, but of course for Sean O'Malley, I really hope he, he can, you know, get better and, 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 you know, get back in there as soon as possible. Obviously you you never want to have a guy like that out of the division too long. And if he's young, he's 25, you know, he's, he's, even though he's, you know, he's putting on this persona of, you know, the, I'm the king, this, that, whatever. He is a very good fighter and I like watching him fight. He's exciting, you know, and, and I'm a fan. I'm a fan of anybody who's getting a lot of eyes behind them. And I'm a big fan of people like Chito Vera who don't give a fuck about any of that shit. He even said it in the, in the post-fight press conference. He said, you know, people like Sean O'Malley just want, uh, um, you know, they want Instagram followers and all this crap. And, and they asked him about Joe Rogan's podcast because during 
the the post fight uh, interview, which is no longer done inside the octagon, it's done you know in separate locations where they're just looking at a camera. He said, you know, I want to thank you, Joe Rogan, for boosting my confidence and helping me by saying things like, you know, eliminate the inner bitch in you and and work hard and you'll and you'll get success. So they asked him about that quote and they said, Did, why didn't you ask Joe Rogan to be on his podcast? And he said, no, 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 no. I don't want to be on Joe Rogan's podcast unless Joe Rogan wants me on his podcast. I don't want to be on there just to get Instagram followers and Twitter followers like these other guys. If Joe Rogan wants me on the podcast, it would be an honor and I would most definitely go on the podcast, but I'm not going to ask him for it. Um, and I respect that a lot. I respect a guy like that who's just grinding, working hard day in and day out to do, to get better and letting his fighting do his talking for him. I, I respect that a lot. And being a Latino myself, you know, I'm from Argentina and he's from Ecuador. Of course, I got I to gotta root for this guy. So again, huge, huge congratulations to Chito Vera gigantic win and let's you know hope that he gets top 15 guy top 10 guy and he just continues to rise because he really is a very very good fighter again i really hope that sean o'malley gets better and recovers quickly um, and gets back in there as soon as possible so all right moving on this is the main event heavyweight championship of the world stipe miocic current champ against dc daniel cormier for the rubber match the trilogy the third fight in this awesome back and forth that we've had for the last couple of years now. This was a really good fight. This was, in many people's eyes, including the promotion, including these two guys, the match to determine who is the best heavyweight of all time, not just the UFC, but in all MMA, who was the best heavyweight of all time. Again, quick recap. You had Stipe, 37 years old, standing six foot four. He's from Ohio. Uh, he holds a record of 19 and three, 15 knockouts. He holds two records in the UFC. One is the record for the most heavyweight title fights, which is six. This would have made his seventh title fight. And the other record that he holds is the record for the most title defenses at heavyweight, which was three. If he won this fight, he would have extended that record to four title defenses. Uh, and obviously, like I said, seven title fights. His resume speaks for itself. I'm not going to go over it again. He's he's just beat everybody at heavyweight. And let, let's not forget, he's still a working firefighter in Ohio during a pandemic while he's training for the biggest fight of his career. This guy is awesome. I'm a big fan of his. And again, he's fighting DC, who is also just an a absolute monster. And I'm a huge fan of his as well. Um, not just because he's, he's a great fighter, but... He's an ambassador for the sport. He's a role model for children. He's a coach. He's a great commentator. He's he's just really good at everything. And he excels at just about everything he does. And the same thing goes for Stipe. Stipe was a two-division, or excuse me, a two-sport collegiate athlete. He played football and baseball. He was obviously a great wrestler. And, you know, both of these guys are just absolute monsters, great athletes. And this was an awesome fight. It went five rounds. It's the, the, the heavyweight fight that we all expected it to be, and, and I think it shined in every aspect. So as far as the odds go, it was uh, it was 100% even until about, I'd say, the night before the, um, the fight started, so about the weigh-ins. They made 
the odds go slightly towards steep, uh, excuse me, slightly towards uh, DC, making him the very, very slight favorite at minus 110 against Stipe's plus 100. So that makes him an even underdog. This fight was awesome, man. It was it was such a high level fight. Round one, Stipe started out like we hadn't seen him in the previous two fights. He started out really fast, very precise. He was moving his feet. He still to this day has absolutely no head head movement, <laughs> which is crazy because he's such a great fighter. He has zero head movement, uh, but he was moving quite a bit more than he was in the previous two fights as far as footwork goes. And of course, you know when you're when you're getting outlanded and and your footwork is better than or excuse me the footwork of your opponent is better than you are. DC noticed this and he started to you know he needed to do something to compete with this guy. So he just he thought, all right, what am I very good at? Or what am I best at? Wrestling. So DC took Stipe down and thought, this is my best path to victory. Um, I am the better wrestler. I'm a, I'm a collegiate, excuse me, I'm a Olympic wrestler. And I'm going to take him down and I'm going to do the same thing that I did in the first round in our last fight. However, it did not go that way. Unfortunately for DC, it did not go that way. He did get the takedown, but Stipe was able to get right back up um, and avoid any damage that would have been, you know, dealt to him if this was a second fight like it happened in the first round. Or maybe the second round. I can't remember. I think it was the first round. Where DC was able to just, you know, land strikes and, and keep him there for, oh, I don't know, over two minutes. Something like that. Um, it was the complete opposite. He got the takedown and Stipe just got right back up. Which is a huge demoralizing blow to DC because DC is the better wrestler. Some, some say would say leaps and bounds a better wrestler, but uh, Stipe is a very strong dude, very good wrestler, and was able to get right back up um, and show DC that, hey, listen, you want to take me down? That's cool. I'm going to get right back up. So you're going to take all your energy to get me down? Well, I'm going to get right back up. So DC was forced to strike with the guy again, just like in uh, the second fight after that uh, takedown. So DC did. He, he was landing good strikes. He was landing... Uh, consistent strikes and it got to the point where he landed a devastating right hand just like it did in the first fight devastating right hand to the chin uh that wobbled stipe and almost put him down uh in my opinion that won dc the round i don't know if that's how the judges scored it but in my opinion that did win him the round because he already had the takedown in there so i had it scored 10-9 for dc again i don't know what the judges had i don't know i know the final result but i don't know which rounds they gave to dc and which they didn't so uh round two Stipe continued the very good footwork that he had in the first round with his movement and, you know, trying to keep the distance. Both guys were landing clean, but I think I think that DC was was landing the cleaner strikes, uh, and he was landing more often than DC was. At the end of the round, they they did show the numbers, and it it, it ended up coming up that Stipe did outland DC in total strikes. But at the end of that round, Stipe landed a right cross combo that put DC down. It looked, it looked to me like I, at that moment, I didn't realize the, the round was like 10 seconds away from being done. But at that moment, I thought it was over. I really did. And I think that if the, if the round would have lasted 15 seconds longer, it would have been over. But DC was very, very fortunate that he got saved by the bell, Zach Morris style, bringing you guys back to the nineties. Uh, the bell rang just as Deepa mounted him against the cage and was just wailing on him. Again, Zach Morris style, he got saved by the bell. 
and he was able to wobble back to the, his to his corner because that's really what happened. He was he was very dazed. He was very hurt. And again, if that round would have lasted 15 seconds longer, I think it would have been over. But luckily for DC, it didn't. He was saved by the bell. So good for him. But not not a good round for him because, you know, that could have been a 10-8 round. I don't think it was, but it could have been. So in, in my opinion, that was a 10-9 round for Stipe. So in my opinion, the it was a 1-1 going into the third. But at that moment, Stipe changed his game plan a little bit where he, for the next three rounds, three uh, round three, four, and five, he started using the clinch to his advantage. So what he would do is he would clinch somewhere in the middle of the octagon with, with DC and kind of push him back against the cage. And because he was getting the double underhooks, which means both of your arms are under your opponent's arms, uh, you kind of have control of his body. So when you're up against the cage and you have double underhooks, there's not much that your opponent can do, especially if your opponent is, you know, six inches shorter than you are or whatever, uh, five inches shorter than you are. Um, it's hard for that opponent to do something. So, you know, DC was trying his best to get out of that stuff and he, he eventually did in each round, but it just wasn't when you can't land any strikes at all and your opponent is landing minimal strikes, just enough to do damage. Um, it doesn't allow you to score any points. So even though it wasn't like devastating or it wasn't, you know, hard or clean strikes, they were strikes that were scoring for Stipe and not scoring for DC. And that's just, that's just the basic mathematics of it. If you can't score and your opponent can go back to soccer, if you score a goal and your opponent doesn't, well, the victory goes to your opponent. So yeah, basic mathematics. Uh, this happened in round three, four, and five, even though in my opinion, I think round four was DC's best round of the entire fight. Um, I scored it for DC. He was just, he came out just guns blazing. He was he was throwing strikes. He was being clean. He was being the aggressor, uh, which is what we wanted him to do. Or I shouldn't say we, which is what his, his team and him wanted him to do the whole fight. He outscored DC, or excuse me, he outlanded Stipe 41 to 23 in total strikes, and he outlanded him. 30 to 16 in significant strikes, which is huge. So again, that was, in my opinion, his biggest round. And I scored it again for him. So that was a 10-9 round, in my opinion, for DC. So it, the way that I scored it going into round five, I had it 2-2. So I had it two rounds for DC, two rounds for Stipe going into the fifth, which was obviously the, 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 the round that whoever won that round won the fight. That's the way I saw it. So going into the fifth round, Whoever won this round would win the fight, in my opinion. But again, Stipe was smart, and he used what I told you guys before about clinching in the middle of the octagon and moving him back to the cage and kind of doing work there. He did that again in the fifth round, uh, holding DC against the cage, and just just, just enough to win the round. Nothing crazy, nothing, you know, extenuating circumstances type thing. No, just, just enough to win the round, and just DC wasn't landing enough, and that's just what it was. So I gave the fifth round to Stipe, uh, which, again, in my opinion, was three rounds to two. That's how I scored it. But the judges had it. One judge had it three to two for Stipe, so 48-47. And then the other two judges had it 49-46 for Stipe, making it a 4-1 victory. So listen, however you want to score it, whatever you want to do for the rounds, Stipe won the fight fair and square clear as day. And 
With that being said, this win cements the title of greatest heavyweight of all time for Stipe Miocic. Nobody can take that away from him, at least not for now. You know, what if, uh, you know, some of these younger guys or, or Ganu or Curtis Blades or any of them beat him? That's completely different. But right now, today, Sunday, uh, whatever, August 16th, I think we are today, <laughs> Stipe Miocic is the greatest heavyweight of all time. He's got the most title defenses. He's got the most title fights in heavyweight history. He is the greatest heavyweight of all time. Nobody can take that away from him. And, I mean, you got you to gotta think, this guy is 37 years old. He's doesn't talk about retirement. He, I mean, he says that he always thinks about retirement after every fight, but he's been saying that for 10 years. You know, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to continue to fight. And I think he's going to continue to win fights. Unless, honestly, the only person that I think can beat him is Nganu, and it has to be a knockout. There's no other way that Stipe would lose to Nganu other than knockout. So if if he beats Nganu again, that's it. I mean, he's just going to continue to win until whatever he wants to stop fighting. Um, I don't think DC is going to fight him again because it, it just doesn't make sense. You've already fought three times. You lost two of the three. It doesn't make sense for the UFC to have them fight again. So I, I just I don't see DC fighting anymore. Who's he going to fight? He's not going to fight somebody who doesn't have the title. He's not going to go down again to light heavyweight unless he sees... I mean, John Jones did say he wants to move up to heavyweight, so I don't know. I don't... I just... I don't I don't see it. Why would he fight again? The only The only thing that I could see him fighting for again is if John Jones moves up to heavyweight and stays there, I could see DC maybe, maybe going down to light heavyweight and winning that title and then retiring, but... I really don't I really don't think that's going to happen. So, it was a great night of fights. It was awesome. It was just one of the better cards that I've, that we've that we've seen in a while. Well, I shouldn't say in a while, but it was definitely one of the better fights fight cards that the UFC has put on. And now we have another fight card coming up this coming Saturday between uh, the main card the main f- event is going to be Pedro Munoz against Frankie Edgar. I just want to go over that one fight. Nothing else. I don't think the card is worth going over it. Um, no offense to the UFC. I know they always deliver, but I just want to go over the one fight, which is the main event. You got Pedro Munoz, who's a 33-year-old killer from Brazil. Got a record of 18-4, and four, five knockouts, eight submissions. He's ranked number five right now. He is coming off a loss to Aljamain Sterling, but he did before that go on a three-fight win streak. Um, if you don't know who Aljamain Sterling is, he just, it, I think he's either ranked number one or number two in the division. He's next in line for the title at 135 pounds. Um, he's a monster. He's excellent on the ground. He's a good striker. He's quick. And again, he's next for the title. He's the guy that beat Pedro Munoz in his previous fight. Before that, like I said, Pedro is a killer. He's he's an excellent fighter. Very tough, very durable, hard to beat. In fact, he's never been stopped. Um, his only losses have come to uh, by decision. And he's fighting Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar is making his bantamweight debut. So he's dropping down to 135 pounds at 38 years old for the first time. He is from New Jersey. He's a fucking legend. I'm a huge fan of his. I, I'm not a huge fan of his decision to move down to 135 at 38 years old, but I am a huge fan of his. Uh, he is the former lightweight champion, which was 155 pounds. Uh, he's the former three-time featherweight title challenger, which is 145 pounds. And like I said, he's making his debut at 135 pounds now. He's been in, I think, at least 12 main events. This guy is an absolute legend. 
And it seems like the UFC's putting legends now in every single card. I mean, that's what it seems like. But yeah, I mean, Frankie Edgar's beat so many high-level, excellent, big-name fighters. I mean, you're talking Jim Miller, who we just discussed as a fucking legend. He beat Tyson Griffin. He beat Gray Maynard. He beat Sean Shirk. He beat BJ Penn three times. BJ Penn is one of the greatest fighters in the history of the sport. He beat BJ Penn three times. He beat Cub Swanson twice. He beat Charles Oliveira, who's, I think, ranked number five right now. He beat Uriah Faber, who's probably one of the most famous fighters in the sport. He's a pioneer for MMA in general. He beat Chad Mendez by knockout. He beat Jeremy Stevens. He beat Yair Rodriguez. This guy is a fucking legend in every aspect of the word. Up, down, left, right. However way you look at him, legend. Now, all that being said, he's at the very, very ass end of his career. He's coming off back-to-back losses, and he's fighting a very, very tough guy in Pedro Munoz. I'm not happy about this fight, but at the same time, I got to be neutral, and I know that Pedro Munoz is on his way to a title fight soon, and by beating Frankie Edgar, it's just going to catapult him to that goal of his, which is fighting for the title at 135. You know, I would love to see Frankie Edgar win this fight, grab the mic, and say, I'm done. I've got, I've done everything I've ever wanted to do. I've been a champion. You know, I've, I've, I've been in, I've beaten everybody. Um, and I want to ride off into the sunset, mic drop and walk off. That's what I would like to see as a fan. But in this case, that's going to be very difficult. I hope he gets it. And I'm not, and not because I don't like Pedro Munoz, but because I'm just a huge fan of Frankie Edgar. But somehow, because, because of the competitor that I know Frankie Edgar is, I don't think that he retires regardless of the result of this fight. If he wins, I still don't think he retires. And if he loses, I don't think he retires. The way, the way that I think his mentality works is if I lose, I don't want to retire on a loss. And if I win, I don't want to retire if I'm on the way heading up in the rankings to, towards a title shot again at 35. So that's what I think he's going to think when he wins or loses. So like I said, somehow I just don't think he's going to retire, even though I would love to see him win and retire. But sometimes riding off into the sunset is not for everyone. And Frankie Edgar is just one of those guys. So we'll see what happens. I think this is going to be a good fight. High paced. Pedro Munoz is a fucking killer. Frankie Edgar is a, he's a monster. He's great stand-up, great jujitsu, great wrestling. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But at the end of the day, I'm watching it. And if you're a, if you're a fan like I'm a fan, you're watching it too. And if you're not, if you're not a fan, you know, if you're not a huge fan like I am, and at least you're a fan of my podcast, then you'll know what happens either way, because I'm, I'm going to tell you what happens. <laughs> so that's it. That's all I got for you guys tonight. Um, I appreciate you guys listening. If you're going, if you're still listening an hour in, I, I, I definitely appreciate you like you don't believe. So I just want to give a big, big, huge, huge thanks to, to anybody who's listening right now. And if you've been listening and you and you like the content, I really appreciate you. Um, I know it's not easy to get fans in, in today's age where there's 14 million podcasts, there's 16 billion YouTube videos, and you know there's so much content out there. If you're listening and you're coming back, I really appreciate it. And I promise I will continue to make these and do the best that I can 
to continue to make good content for you. Follow me on social media. I'm going to put the links in the description. Uh, As always, man, this is your average fight fan. My name is Juan. Good night. Your average.